to them. They invest in founders first, idea, product, solution second, because great founders will find. Hello, and a big welcome to Hot Sauce, where we'll cover the hottest topics within Sauce, together with brilliant guests. Are you also curious about fast-growing companies and the people behind them? Welcome aboard. My name is Max Nyman. I'm the CEO of LimeGo, and this is an interactive podcast where you can give suggestions on upcoming guests and topics. You can also jump into discussions with other listeners by leaving comments or upvoting their suggestions. I'm determined to become one of the greatest within B2B sauce, which is why I invite thought leaders and pick their brains about how to scale their companies. However, there are so many fast-growing companies out there and new ones appearing all the time. I only know a fraction, and that's why I want to give you the opportunity to have an impact on the episodes and its content. Hit the link in the episode to interact and affect. Enough already, let's get to it. All right, warm welcome, uh, Carl Carell. How you doing? Thank you, Max. Doing very well, thank you. How are you? Nice. Yeah, I'm all good. I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Fantastic. Yeah, cool. Can you please explain uh, what is your role and which company do you work at? Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm one of four co-founders of uh, GetAccept, a B2B SaaS sales software company. Uh, and um, my role is uh, chief revenue officer. So I'm responsible for our different revenue channels like account executives, uh, account management, uh, SDRs, and, and uh, yeah, solutions engineering, partnerships, and, and, and so forth. Anything that has a dollar sign tied to it tech, tends to be under my responsibility, generally. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I'm, I'm Swedish. I've spent uh, 10 years in Silicon Valley. Uh, probably have a pretty uh, Silicon Valley-centric way of thinking when it comes to ambition and, and, and scale. And uh, on the personal side, I tend to uh, wind off by not being in front of any type of digital screens or anything like that. So I enjoy suffering up a mountain on a road bike of some sort or running a trail. It's, <laughs> it tends to be a good good combination when it comes to uh, being in tech and, and doing something like that. But yeah, that's a short mm-hmm. introduction to myself. Nice. Yeah, good intro. And, and uh, let's uh, double tap onto the Silicon Valley stuff, because I think we have a lot to learn there in, in terms of uh, the European way, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in short, uh, get accept for, for the ones listening that might not know, what do you sell? Give us the pitch. Yep. I mean, we're a sales software uh, and, and our vision for our product is to become the, the quota carrying reps best friend, so the account executive's best friend or the account manager's best friend. And, and what we have, uh, we have created and founded the software category that is digital sales rooms. That was our vision eight years ago when we started. Uh, we started out in the space of uh, proposals, uh, generation, e-signatures, uh, tracking sales documents, etc. And, and uh, yeah, over the past two years, we've established established what, what is called the digital sales room software category, which essentially is one central platform, one central location for sellers and buyers to meet from opportunity all the way to sign deal and a customer. So instead yeah. of sharing, you know, different CPQ proposals in one end, sales stick in another yeah. end, your case study from this end, you're communicating everything in one experience to gather all different stakeholders, both from the seller and buying committee to ensure that you get to the answer as soon as possible. Should we work with each other? How should we work with each other and communicate effectively along that journey? Uh, And what that ultimately does, of course, it increases your win rates uh, and it decreases the sales cycle because I think the challenge that probably every person is listening here, whether you're a founder 
or your sales leader is that people are challenged by economic pressure, uh, increased deal cycles and lower win rates based mm. on higher complexity and the need to engage more financial stakeholders, C-level stakeholders. And that's exactly what the digital sales room does at scale, perfectly synced with our CRM partners, such as yourself, for example. Right. Mm. Yeah, and and I heard a rumor that like uh, the vision that you talked about now, uh, you set out on that journey approximately eight years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, the market wasn't ready, so you had to start smaller. The, yeah, and that that's very true, and I, I think that's the I, I think the probably if you talk about Silicon Valley and, and stuff like that, what investors and people who look into that, they're not interested in investing or, or starting a business that you know can become a local champion. They're interested in, in investing in, in the next big thing and something that can become a mm. billion dollar company and effect on a global scale. And for us, when we started out as a four co-founders in a second bedroom where we did all of our sales and our product development. It was my second bedroom. I spent a lot of time in the same apartment for the nice. first couple of, uh, couple of months specifically. But, but yeah. the idea that we had was essentially to help all 20 million B2B salespeople out there. That was our first pitch when we hit the demo day at Y Combinator, the big accelerator, and pitched hundreds of, of seed funding investors and institutional investors. And, mm. and, and, and that has always talked about the buyer and seller experience because when you do business B2B in a, in, in a value-add uh, workflow, you actually, I mean, it's not about pushing something or peddling something. It's figuring out, can we strategically partner as vendor and buyer and achieve something better together? And, and that's exactly what we wanted to do. So, uh, and, and also when we started out, the majority of sales support products was mainly top of the funnel, outreach, sales loft, Apollo, marketing automation. And it was kind of a blue ocean that we saw back in 2015 that there's very few products targeting the account executive process. It's kind of its holy little art form that people didn't want to tackle and there were no good solutions. So we yeah. talked about becoming the account executive's best friend that helped that person hit quote and ultimately those sales organization reach their sales targets and, and creating that best buying experience. But yeah, we had to go to market in, in existing categories because it's really hard to establish a category. I'm not saying it's an easy run at the moment either to, to do that, right? But uh, we went to market in the existing proposal software category, e-signature category, and combined some other features in that we today actually are core features of the digital sales room product but still are, are, are things that were, were, you know, selling significant amounts of software uh, in those core categories and products. But again, you have to uh, choose your battles early and focus early because at the end of the day, to be able to build a business, you need revenue and, and sell a product that nobody knows what it is or how that it exists. It's difficult, right? And, and yeah, yeah, you want ARR to build a SaaS business. And I think that's interesting that uh, like the, the pitch itself is uh, kind of good for Silicon Valley because it's it's the big pitch, like the vision, uh, but you have to break it down and start in a smaller uh, smaller pool uh, and cover the, the main needs. In 2015, I guess that was like e-signatures. 100%. And, and, um, and, and I think it's like this. I mean, a lot of people think about this and you look at Silicon Valley and think it's an overnight success recipe, that that's the, the, the general business. I mean, the average business, I can't remember if it's changed. This was probably a number from two years ago, but you know, the average successful Silicon Valley company takes eight point something years to IPO or exit, right? So yeah. if you start to think about that, that that's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so you really need to think about how that journey looks. And when it comes to the vision as well, it's interesting. A lot of businesses 
you can build a very solid foundation, but if you don't have a competitive edge and vision for the long term, you're going to get run over by somebody who has. And mm, you can become yeah. a redundant software. You can just become an add-on to a different product. So again, the vision is extremely important, but you can't forget you know, to, to sell what you have and understand if you can't solve pain points that are existing in a business, yeah, you don't have a value proposition, particularly mm. not if you're starting a business today because people are getting scrutinized significantly more for their investment. Discretionary budgets are gone. You have to have a really, really compelling solution to people's problems for them to cough up their hard-earned dollars and spend them with you as a vendor. Yeah, and then it's almost the opposite. You can't become the overnight success, but you can become the overnight failure if someone outruns you with a clearer vision. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's so many examples of that. I think, the, to be honest, like if you look at the one space that I think probably one one of the most booming spaces then eight years still a booming space but that's you know sales engagement platforms like salesloft and outreach there were yeah. 50 60 70 different vendors local vendors in sweden denmark uh, different other parts of southern europe south america us now there's three to four vendors left in that space totally dominating 90 90 odd percent of that market and that's what's happening are their product the same that they started out with back in you know, 10, 15 years ago. Now, of course, they diversified and built a bigger vision to support the bigger thing. That's why they won. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Let, let's, uh, before we dig deeper on that, uh, those topics, I just want to, you to set the scene a bit. Uh, like talking about Get Accept. Uh, you've existed for uh, seven and a half years-ish. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. And the, what approximate range uh, in terms of ARR, headcount, uh, can markets, can you give me some numbers? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we are, yeah, we started back, we released our first platform 5th of December, uh, this is our 4th of December 2015, I've been selling ever since. Uh, we made our first couple of 100,000 in ARR over the coming 90 days. Uh, we started out and launched our business via Y Combinator, the very famous startup accelerator based in Silicon Valley. Uh, we've gone through, you know, the typical journey of seed funding, Series A, Series B from, you know, top tier investors globally, like Bessemer Venture Partners in the latest one. We went uh, during the pandemic from 100 to 200 employees. We're still at 200 employees today. I think uh, there's been an adjustment and fill, if you know, fill up the suit that you built kind of or, or, or yeah. uh, put together. Uh, and when it comes to uh, we're about to start the, the 20 to 100 million dollar ARR journey uh, approximately. So, wow. yeah. Uh, you know, it's been interesting years and, and evidently the past 12 uh, months has obviously been a different type of journey just based on the how the VC market works, how the startup space is working. And I think anyone who, who's in it knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's a, mm. uh, it's a different market today where you have to look at other type of metrics that were necessarily not as important only 12 to 24 months ago and obviously been a big change to that. But I, I, I think it's also interesting and sustainable uh, my perspective, and I think from from our as businesses, that great businesses are not created when you have tailwind all the time. Great businesses are created when you have, have headwind, and the same thing goes for individuals and careers. This is the opportunity to strike and really run significantly faster than your competition, yeah. whether it's individually or as a company uh, towards your main competitors. So very interesting times to to do business in. Mm. And kind of refreshing also to not uh, only focus on growth all the time, but sometimes uh, like shift the mindset on profitability in, in the difficult times as, as well. Yeah, and I think I think the key foundation to that is you're actually looking into how committed organization, how good culture do you have, how good communication do you have, how much do people understand in your organization. Those things become even more important, for example, when external capital is not abundantly available at any given time. Yeah. Mm. 
And the, the, the platform, uh, the digital sales room, uh, who would you say is the ICP uh, when you pitch that? And uh, can you give some sort of context in terms of sales cycle or complexity? How yep. difficult is it to sell? I, I think um, to give a little background, we, we've, we have our core product that we started out with that we branded now as the contract room. That's the t- typical document, uh, proposal, contracting process, uh, quotes, mm. contracts, legal work, e-signatures. And then we have the deal room product. This, this is part of the bigger digital sales room platform. Uh, if we look at those ones, they're different. The new deal room product that we sell, you know, it's an early adoption product we need to sell it to people who are you know a little bit front liars in 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 thinking about technology uh, and that constitutes usually any other type of you know tech it and tech company in a broader sense uh we also look at what other software purchases that they have or what other software stack they have to look at the maturity. Those are important yeah. things. Professional services is also interesting and that product also gears very well to people who run a, a more complex sales process because the deal room can take in a lot more content and handle and simplify that process. Yeah, whether a contract room product, so yeah, exactly the stakeholder management, the the longer yeah. deal cycles. So that the, the ICP for that is it, it works well for transactional, but those customers can get a lot of value already out of our mature contract room product, which is competing with you know the panda docs and the 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 docuscience adobe signs and, and and those types of products and those are very mature so there's an existing demand for that that this is much bigger that you can get inbound so uh, usually makes that the, that sales process is slightly shorter where the, the deal room product takes a little bit we need, we need to evangelize a bit more so i mean we've historically been able to sell uh, deals on on 30 to 45 days on our contract room product because it's so easy to implement, easy to understand. Whereas we see longer sales cycles on the deep room, but also we're going up market with that product, meaning that we also go for larger ticket sizes for those deals, which means again, more complexity into the deals. Yeah, so for, for that one, we're looking more into the deal cycles around, around the three to four month mark instead comparatively to, to a more mature market. And I think it has to do just with our sales reps need to educate more. People don't know from the get-go exactly how they implement or the, how to, they, they get started. And also we're seeing higher average contract values in that, that product as well, which of course creates more complexity into the sales process and longer deal cycles. And then yeah. I think as well, like we've seen a significant push as a company to longer deal cycle just based on the economic pressures that companies are feeling. They're scrutinizing their investment significantly more today than they you know, did a year ago, for example. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and, and talking about uh, as a CRO, I can imagine you have a lot of KPIs and a lot of fun metrics to keep uh, keep track of. Uh, ARR might be the north star, uh, but uh, what is uh, like the, the most uh, prioritized metrics for you? And therefore, like the sales team, and uh, why? Yeah, and, and and I think ARR is obviously an extremely important objective. I mean, it's the it's the north star. But to that as well, that I want to add, that's changed. If it's efficiently grow, get accept. And what that means is looking more yeah. at our CAC payback uh, uh, calculations and our costs, how much marketing and sales spend are we doing to earn a dollar, for example. So looking at that multiple, so how cash efficient are we? Those are becoming extremely important together with the ARR, right? Like it's it's not ARR at any cost, it's ARR at the right cost at the time. So I want to say those yeah. are important. Then at the moment as well, inefficiency, looking at things like quota attainment and quota capacity on our reps as we're moving up market as a business. So are we able to sell more 
on the same amount of people, for example. That's a very important metric mm-hmm. that we're looking at. So, so those are, I, I want to say, at the moment, the ones that I have top of mind at, at uh, any any moment in time on any given day. Then, of course, as a CRO, you're looking at everything apart win rates. Uh, looking a lot into deal cycle time, how much, for example, a certain deal and a certain industry are spending at a certain deal stage. Why are things progressing and not just staring blind at overall win rate, but are we losing them early on when we create opportunity? Are we able to create a demand? Are we able to tackle a pain? Or are we losing them later down the funnel based on price, based on economic pressure? And these things have changed quite radically over a short period of time, comparatively where they've been very stable for many, many, many years. So I think as a CRO or a sales leader, you have to be on top of things significantly more frequently than you would previously, meaning that you can't just look at the blended win rate over three months. You have to look how they compare over month to month if you have the enough volume to look at that. But maybe that wasn't the case before because you had, you know, slight fluctuation, but it didn't really affect that much because mm. you were happy with them. So I think it becomes much more of a higher frequency looking at metrics today comparatively before because they just changed so much quicker. Yeah. And would you say that there's also like an involvement of of uh, marketing at a larger extent now compared to earlier, like uh, the collaboration between sales and marketing, how how to lap that puzzle together? Yeah, I, th- I think you're on, onto something very, very important. Like when you look at uh, your customer acquisition cost and your payback time stores are obviously marketing spend is involved in that calculation. So yeah. we have always worked tightly and I think you need to work in cross-functional teams because you know it's total spend and the total dollars you get out of it in AR that's important at the end of the day. So you, you shouldn't trick yourself. But yeah, it's really, really important and have a tight collaboration between myself and our CMO, but also ensuring that we help our teams to work together. And I think one way to do that is of course create cross-functional teams to tackle the same challenge right so it's not just my sales team working by themselves as one project group and then our cmo has their own project group but they work together come up with solutions together present to us rather than we're trying to direct them and i think it's extremely important that they are much tight-knit and i always I'm a promoter of compensating a revenue, even for people who don't directly work in revenue, because I think it's the best North Star when it comes to compensation is it comping everybody on AR. Yeah, and, and you're not at all subjective because of your role. Not at all, but I also think from a founder's perspective is, is we want people on board that are predominantly geared to success as a company, because uh, that yeah. is also what's going to make our people who believe in our vision and join our team and our family successful as well because ultimately Hmm. you join a startup most probably because you're more prone to risk and potential upside than choosing to work for a corporate not saying that either is better or worse than the other but uh, we're willing to put a little bit more gambling on the line (laughs) to reach a little bit further in a shorter amount of time comparatively to some other people who prefer stability and i think then comping on that target is important so you attract correct people and keep the correct people we're still aligned with that. Yeah. And I guess it's also super important to get the people on board to buy in on the metrics because that will also be the keys mm-hmm. for unlocking more potential, more new roles, uh, afterworks, I don't know, all of that fun stuff that's aligned with a good culture or a growing uh, healthy company. 
will be unlocked if you actually achieve the company goal, not just the individual or, or the one metric goal. Yeah, no, I think it's and I think it's um, sales team has a tendency to maybe celebrate more than a product team or a market team, but I think it's extremely important to celebrate together. I mean, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to sell our product if our engineers and our product managers are not doing an excellent work understanding our customers and building the software we need to be able to go to market, yeah. have product market fit and sell. And I think. Um, I think it's important as a sales leader to educate your sales team that you know there's not they're not the sole lever of success. They're the one that executes on success in a lot of times when we talk about financial, mm. but they're kind of the end of the stick, uh, making it happen. But there's such a broad you know uh, broad team behind every customer making them succeed. And I think it's if they work together, you have a much more effective product development as well. Like. Uh, really important to have product managers and engineers talking to customers so they actually hear firsthand what the issue is and actually build solutions mm-hmm. to those pains rather than hypothesizing on on their own corner or their own little nook and cranny right yeah or, or not only trusting sales reps because then it's going to be the next feature always <laughs> exactly uh, not the the, the the actual customer neither pain no no salesperson has ever promised a deal if i get this platform and never delivered that's never happened yeah no 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 <laughs> <laughs> exactly the roadmap what's that uh, but shifting the perspective, I want to talk a bit about uh, about you. And uh, you mentioned like Silicon Valley, Y Combinator, uh, four co-founders of GetAccept. Uh, just uh, what did you do before GetAccept? How did you end up there? And uh, maybe what was your role in in those uh, four people? Which persona were you in the founding team? Yeah, no, I'm happy to. I mean, uh, I'm a small town boy from, boy from a town called Hamstad in Sweden. Um, I um, have, you know realized that I'm probably a better ideator and creating things than an employee quite early on. I, I've been working uh, in, in different type of industries. I've started uh, two businesses before and predominantly was decently successful during college in, in, in Sweden. When I came back from the US after a college stint there, I started a, a consultancy. We did enterprise sales development on demand for software businesses and professional services businesses and particularly technical. Uh, we grew mm-hmm. that to, to one of the fastest growing consultancies in Sweden over five years. But, you know, it was a consultancy. We started working with some software partnerships. That's how I got to know my yeah. founders via founder circles, uh, created some partnerships yeah. with Two previous companies of my co-founders, we sold each other software, we referred each other business, started talking about visions in the future, and that's kind of where stars aligned. We had the same ambition to see if we can make our wings fly on the other side of the Atlantic. We wanted to build something yeah. outside of Scandinavia, and that ambition was what kind of gathered us the, together. Um, yeah. And the cultural fit, just that, you know, that, and, and that's, I think, the most proud thing from my perspective. We're four co-founders. Ev- everyone's still here. Everyone's operational. We're still on yeah. good terms. The number one reason why businesses fail today and startups fail is founder conflict. Um, mm. and, and, and personally, for me, it, it, it's always been about uh, pushing boundaries and see what's possible. I love sales. Uh, I work, you know, run a sales consultancy company, r- running sales teams, and I love figuring out simple solutions to complex problems. And helping other people succeed, mm. and I think that's what Get Accept is exactly all about. And that's personally what still motivates me to this day. That you know we're on this journey to fundamentally change and help uh, how you know good, successful businesses uh, can accelerate and do better. And uh, that, that 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 to me is is part. But then of course Silicon Valley is a different ball game, and I think that's what's interesting. Um, 
the the Silicon Valley scene pushes you to limits that I think is really really hard to get in an environment back home uh, in Sweden, for example. Yeah. Yeah, you always hear like both in terms of of companies, of course, but also the the sports leagues. Uh, you always compare like, oh, it's so much harder in Premier League, and and ah, oh, Silicon Valley, it's a different uh, different ballpark. Uh, but I guess it's it's difficult to, for the people that hasn't been there to really really understand the limits. And I, I think I think the vast majority of people are capable of succeeding. But it's I, I think like talking about things that always ring true with me. If I'm the you know most stupid person in a room, I probably won because I'm surrounding myself with people that I learn from. So yeah. so that's a good motto. Yeah, no, but, and I, I think it's about if you don't dare to, to you know try and play on that field, you're not gonna figure out what it's all about, and you're just gonna stand on the you know on the bleachers and be a spectator or something when maybe you're yeah. the person who's destined to succeed in that environment but you don't know if you don't try you lose all possibilities that you don't take and then maybe yeah. wherever you know you're always going to learn a lot and even if you fail this is kind of where i think the biggest difference is in silicon valley and in the us particularly there's no problem regarding the american dream to try and fail we have a little bit yeah. uh, you know too much taboo when it comes to scandinavia particularly swedish people about the failure is is a failure to me failure is just a path to success and that's what yeah, i like definitely. about that and uh uh, again, like th- that—that's pushing those boundaries and daring to take those risks is really what I think makes the difference from creating, you know, really, really successful companies to just creating. A, not saying that that's that's a wrong path, but if that's what you want to achieve, dare to yeah. challenge yourself and dare to be proud of your failures and learn from them rather than sit and dwell and moan about what didn't happen. Yeah, I guess there's a reason why there are a lot of unicorns coming from from the US, basically. Hundred percent. Then, then there's fantastic things about Scandinavian startup culture and Scandinavian. We're f- based on per capita basis. We're also awesome at creating great companies. But I think a lot of them who's created these companies have been inspired and been elsewhere and getting inspiration from a world scene rather than a local scene. So I mean, I, th- I think you can yeah. still get that here. You just have to search a little bit more to get it. Yeah. And and on that note, I mean. Uh... Two things that I'm super curious about. One is uh, you mentioned that you've been together for for the whole uh, eight years now, all of you uh, you co-founders. If you would say one thing that you did, maybe before starting Get Accept or like in the early years that created that alignment, what would that be? Like success factor in in co-founder alignment. Uh... Having a bad experience personally with other co-founders before kind of taught me that. So talking about failures, like when I <laughs> uh, started the, the company before Get Accept, it was started uh, and done together with, you know, who was available at the time and who we met at the time. And a lot of them were very talented, but there were a lot, you know, cultural misalignment, ambitional misalignment that I, I think mm. is extremely, you have to have those or because everybody hits tough strides in, in any career and particularly in startups, it goes a lot of up and down and you have, you know, on the verge to fail moments quite often. Uh, yeah. Are you aligned on how to act and what to do? That generally comes back to have, do you have the same ambition? Are you willing to take the risks at the same time? They will create conflict. The other side of it is also culturally, how do you treat people? How do you want to build your company? And those two things are, are non-negotiables on, on my end, who I choose to spend the vast majority of my awake life together with, which becomes that when you start yeah. a startup journey. Uh, 
I want us to treat our employees. I want us to treat our customers in a certain way. I want us to be a role model on that end. Otherwise, this journey is not worth it. Then it's just financial success if we succeed from that perspective, but it's done in the wrong way. And mm. yeah, then, you know, we haven't been true to ourselves and then that's not something I can personally be proud of. And those those learnings I've, I've gotten from having access and listening to other you know, successful founders and mentors. And I think that's maybe my number one advice that I hope I had a little bit earlier, but really try to find good mentors along the way who can inspire you, can help you navigate things with people who are not in the company that you're at right now or too close to it. So you can have that a little bit of sense of distance to thing, helicopter perspective and somebody that helps you navigate your own thoughts and uh, feelings around the journey that you make. Because again, it's a marathon and you need support. Mm. It's really hard to uh, to build a work family. <laughs> Same thing as a work, you know, maintaining and keeping a personal family. If you don't have other people you can turn to that can support you in that journey. Yeah. Yeah, and as you say, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. And then during the marathon, you would uh, probably want to enjoy the view uh, and run in good company, right? Exactly. And I, and I think you're right, like... I think like a lever is, can you actually find joy when you have success and seeing your co-founder succeed or your colleagues succeed? Do you think they earned it? Can you be happy for them as well, not just yourself? It's kind of like a moral compass that you can have along the journey. If you are not just happy for your personal success when you succeed, are you actually happy for the people around you who you did it with? That usually means you're at the right place. Yeah. That is good. Good, uh, good reminder to the people uh, listening. And, uh, Let's do a, a bit of a, a switcheroo. Uh, now I want to move into a segment uh, with a couple of quick questions, quick answers. All right. Go for it. Nice. So first, uh, first off, uh, favorite tool in your sales tech stack, and you cannot say get accept. Um, no, of course not. I won't say that. <laughs> I, <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to say chorus at the moment. So call tracking and the ability to to coach and enable at scale. Yeah. Hmm? Cool. Uh, best uh, sales advice that you've gotten or given and seen a good effect of? Currently, I'm going to take it more to solve exactly the pain that you find today and only show the product and the solution that exactly solves that pain. Don't complicate the situation, particularly in, not in today's complex selling environment. Yeah. Keep it simple. And the. Uh... Yeah, let's screw the quick ones now because I want to follow up on this one. How how would you give an advice to a sales rep listening? How do you like strip it down and go to the core problem? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, I mean, a, a sales rep's read in, in B2B read to be really, really good at asking questions and getting that information. So figure out what is metrics that are along the entire way for the business measured on. So not just what that individual is thinking about, but are anchor that, is that actually the objectives that you have for the quarter, for the half year or for the full year? Uh, what are the supporting metrics? How do you get there? So when you actually get that business case as a decision on the CFO, CEO, or VP of finance, will they immediately yeah. see that? So are you solving the core pains and objectives that they have to reach that target. That's the most important thing. It's not enough that you have a champion that says, hey, yeah, I like it. I want to buy it because the champion can't take the decision themselves. Maybe it was the yeah. case back in the day when people had some discretionary budgets. I think that that's really important to so ask the correct questions, verify with different stakeholders. Are these also numbers that you're measured on? Are these mutual success for the company? What are the roadblocks to get there? How is your product or service significantly contributing to solving them? And what happens if they don't make the investment? 
drive fear and mm. sense of urgency in no investment versus that base outcome that you can get with your own product. Yeah. Good, good tip. Uh, let's uh, jump up uh, from the rabbit hole <laughs> and uh, move back onto the, the quick ones. Uh, if you were to put on a song to get yourself hyped, which song would it be? Um, I want to say Final Countdown by Europe. So slightly uh, you know, going oh, back to, nice. uh, to childhood and one of my favorites with E-Type. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, one thing that you use uh, chat GPT for? Um, not so much personally, but I think one of the based use cases is for, for SDR and the research on prospects. I think it's a great way to, uh, particularly for young sales reps who are starting out in SDR roles, to, to do great research on buyer personas and, and industries and challenges that they may have. And exactly like that paints, mm-hmm. what are some of the challenges that a CFO has in making investments in the certain space or uh, depending yeah. on what your value proposition is, so things like that. Mm, so aligned to the, the ICP, basically, exactly. and the, the pain. Yeah. Mm. And uh, if I were to ask your team, uh, which question does Carl ask the most? <laughs> what do you think they would say? Um, uh, what is most important for you to solve right now to reach your targets? Mm? Or what must you solve to reach your targets? Is usually how I define the yeah. question. Nice. Short and sweet. And uh, moving on to uh, a couple of other topics. Uh, I mean, uh, Y Combinator, you mentioned uh, the startup uh, accelerator, right, in in Silicon Valley. And uh, running a startup and being a co-founder, CRO. Yeah, there's a a difficult balance in terms of work-life balance. Can you just mention some stuff that you've experienced or, or if you have any advice on how to balance that uh, running a tech company? I think um, things have changed. I mean, I'm 35 right now. I started get get accepted when I was you know, 27 odd. Uh, I've since then gone through uh, stage four cancer uh, throughout wow. this entire period. So that kind of changed the essence of my life when we raised our Series A. Um, uh, and I think it was a bad example of what not to do <laughs> earlier and on that. I mean, uh, I think it's extremely important, again, to realize that you're not invincible and that you, you're, you're, you're not uh, a person who have... You have limited amounts of, uh, of hours on the day. You have limited amounts of energy throughout the day. So finding that balance is extremely important. It came, came to me you know, quite radically throughout that period to, to wind down a yeah, little of bit. Course. And uh, wow. uh, I, I think... The number one thing that I'm thinking from a personal perspective, health is wealth, and that that's obviously easy. To, but that's the number one thing. If I'm healthy and happy, I'm probably a good, inspiring uh, colleague, co-founder, uh, you know, just fellow part of this this journey, right? So, uh, really important to invest in, you know, sleep hygiene. It's a very simple thing, but you know, something that that really yeah. can floor you. Uh, uh, a finding sustainable exercise and now I'm not saying you have to go run an Ironman or, or run a marathon but you know find a way on a weekly basis to invest 20-30 minutes time more frequently into some type of physical exercise because that enables so much more in terms of good sleep uh, usually comes with you know better uh, better diet and stuff you know it's very basic things but if mm. you practice these things as rituals you get so much more out of it and then I also just think that 
simple tip, but working with focus modes on your phone so that when you actually decide that you have times off, you mute notifications. Equally, when you're at work, do not be stressed by personal stuff. Turn off yeah. personal text messages, social media, stuff like that. You know, they're not rocket science for anyone, but the difference is how good are you actually at holding those ones up and executing. But I want to say those ones are extremely important for the for the long run and i fail at these ones you know on a weekly daily basis at times Classic, yeah. but i i found it at least into my own uh like knock myself on my head you know scratch myself on the back okay stop here for a second uh and yeah. do differently next time because again those are extremely important to be able to find happiness in in in, in over a long extended period of time in the different things and again Life is finite, so make sure that you enjoy the moments and, and are present at work. You're not, you know, gone in your head, something personal. Same thing that you're mm. able to find, you know, peacefulness when you're at home and not constantly thinking about ARR or cost efficiency because you probably are in benefit from relaxing and you have better ideas, better solutions, better ways to tackle that if you have some time off and really are able to cut off from those, uh, you know, those pressures. Mm. Yeah. And, and you talked a bit about the um, the, the one thing helping you uh, previously, uh, going into the nature and biking. Hmm? Yeah. Do you have uh, any other things that uh, allow you to do that switch 100%? Uh, yeah, I, I think to that, to me, like what, what I like, like I really like to be on my road bike. I like to go out and run. And that's predominantly okay. started more as I realized that when I'm on a bike, if I look at my phone, <laughs> try to answer a Slack message or an email, I'm going to crash <laughs> and luck. die. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah. it's very black and white in the sense of uh, there's no options, right? Uh, so and, and also the, just the ability, I've realized that... that um, uh, it's easy to get tunnel-sighted and nature has a tendency to be grand, right? And then you just feel a tiny, tiny piece of the world. And that, that's usually quite a good feeling to be grounded. That, and, and I think nature has that tendency to do that. So whether that's just go out and, you know, uh, enjoy a run in the park or something like that, they always have a tendency to calm you down and, and, and make you feel good. And then the exercise itself obviously has a, you know health benefits. That, so it's, it, it's dual-sided. It kind of combines as... Um, um, some type of uh, you know therapy, therapy and meditation combined with physical uh, things in one. So that's why I truly like that. So, I mean, mm. and it's easy. Anyone can bring their running shoes when they're traveling much for work and go out for a run. I was in Dublin for a Salesforce event at the Salesforce HQ, but I was able to squeeze that 6:30 run into the morning and see, actually see ah, Dublin nice. despite the fact that I only had 24 hours. And you know, it gave me that little bit extra energy to push through the last day on Friday because I was up to. To see the bridge and I saw some, you know, beautiful sights and it was, it was quiet in the morning. Those things make a big difference and making that extra effort, yeah. I just think is, it's well, it pays off, you know, tenfold over time. But I think, as you say, in, in retrospect, that was the key. But there and then it's so difficult to just put down the screen, put on the shoes and go out. 100%. You have to try to find yourself accountable one way to that. I mean, I, we have a team here at the office. I try to run Friday every lunch. We try to do intervals here along the on the waterfront. If I oh, nice. if I sure. commit to that together with Samir, who's an avid runner, for example, he's going to bash me for not showing up if I don't show up. And I yeah. would never not show up. Probably most I'm too competitive, so I would show up even if I shouldn't, if I'm injured. But it's good to be yeah. accountable, for example. So to find in accountability in groups, because you don't want to let your friends and the people you care about down, it's easier if you're by yourself. Mm. 
Yeah, that's true. And, and talking about the group, uh, bringing on the, the cultural aspect. Uh, I mean, uh, I've, I've known uh, GetExcept for quite some time and, and some of the founders were ex-Limers. And uh, I think there are a couple of similarities in terms of culture, but uh, can you please uh, uh, mention what do you, your team or GetExcept in general do to maintain a good culture? Yeah, I think it's changed a bit. It's easier when you're like 20, 30 people and everybody knows each other and, and, and it's, it's easier to do these things. But I, I think providing an environment where people can meet and spend quality time together outside of work on their own discretion, because it's different, right? Some people prefer the large group and mentality and hang out. So just providing a, a culture where there's initiatives, things happening, you know, we have people who have their chess club and chess tournaments, and then you have the people who, you know, enjoy going at the large after work or having a party or, you know, be at the bar here in the office or, you yeah. know, uh, having a, a wide array of activities that speaks to everyone and hopefully where people can be a bit more cross-functional. So it's fun to see like when you have this chess tournament and then they, they aired it online, the final, which was between one person from products <laughs> nice. and one person from sales. I, I think those things are very important. Also promote out of a communication perspective that we we just don't care about hitting the AR numbers. We want you to be here and be happy and healthy and, and you know have a healthy relationship to your colleagues. So yeah. not just saying it, but also as founders showing up to these things participate in these yeah. things and uh, i play showing up on the run it, the fighter run. exactly man every thursday we play pick up soccer together and try to gather as much people as possible and you know it's a fun relaxing way to hang out and 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 meet other people so those are just a couple of the things but i think it changes a bit when you hit you know 100 people because then you have to cater to a broader you know different personalities some people are more extroverted yeah. some people are more introverted people prefer bigger groups and stuff like that but those things are extremely important in the long run because the best people have abundant options and if they have an emotional connection to get accepted they're going to stay longer mm. yeah and uh, on, on that topic uh, emotional things uh, winning and losing is something that uh, often creates a good or bad emotion uh, how would you say that you either like promote winning behavior uh, it can be big things as closing a deal or like the small wins and maybe also evaluating your, your losses. Uh, is, is it something that you do regularly? Do you have a forum for it? How do you work with that? Well, as I, like celebrations, there's different um, Slack channels for that, of course, and getting everybody engaged. And, you know, we do a lot of, I think, a Emojis lot. and gifts. Yeah, exactly, but posting stuff and highlighting. And, and we're quite good at highlighting the people who are involved in the deal, not just the sales rep who got the signature on the paper, but which product manager were involved to tweaking the integration to something who was helping out or was it a support person who took a support ticket during that time or maybe the support person picked up the lead because they spoke to another customer and they said here's the opportunity so i, I think it's also about creating a a um, a culture to, to celebrate together as a group for the people because it's very rarely you succeed on your own uh, the other thing I mean, there's two sides of it i think when you look at leadership uh, compared to just a manager uh, a, a true leader takes responsibility when you fail. So if we as a sales organization don't hit the targets, ultimately that's my responsibility. I should be the person to say, hey, I failed. We yeah. failed. And, and that's the reason, right? Um, when you succeed, it's really important to lift the people and the individuals be responsible. The success is on the individuals. Uh, failure is on the leadership at the end of the day. So if you can live yeah. by that kind of rule of thumb, you tend to kind of build a good culture when it comes to celebrating it. But I also think 
it's a difference between you can succeed and not hit your targets. But the number one I think I talk about when it comes to discipline and, and doing things, it's okay to fail as long as we feel that we gave it our all. We put everything on the pitch. We really fought hard for it. Uh, mm. We should celebrate those efforts. But the worst feeling is even if you hit 110% of your quarterly target or yearly revenue target, but you feel you, you didn't try hard enough, you had more in you, that's when you're supposed yeah. to be disappointed. That's when I'm disappointed in people is when they did, when, if somebody knows you, why, why didn't you do it? Where's the motivation? Why you didn't get there? And that's the discussion we need to have. Why, why haven't we been able to inspire you to walk that full potential as, a, as part mm, of our company? And that comes down to great leadership is identifying what is it making people not doing the things based on their own action? Because you can tell people to do things. You can tell someone, hey, call 250 dials tomorrow because you need to do it. But do that person actually believe that that will take them to target or their objectives or whatever? A person convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. So you have to inspire people to want to do something. And that's what I'm hoping yeah. that a great organization are able to do or great leaders can do. And I think that's what's different as a you know, decent manager who's just going to follow a process and tell you off, wrong, right, do more, do less. Mm. But I don't think that takes you to to the heights that you want if you have high ambitions. Yeah, and also tying that into the the marathon mindset and the uh, connecting emotion for the employee to actually feel committed and uh, wanting to be a part of it long term as well. Yeah, hundred percent, and feel that they're they're in ownership of their own future, their own destiny, rather than in the hands of somebody else who just tells them what to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, wrapping up a bit, uh, really in- inspiring, but uh, why Combinator? Uh, I think there's a couple of people listening that are a bit uh, like foundry, uh, startup-y, and uh, uh, one of the most uh, appreciated or respected maybe accelerators uh, in the world, I would say, is, is uh, Y Combinator. Uh, if you would give one advice to someone that like is looking to pitch, what do you think you did well that actually helped you end up there? Um, number one thing that I've learned throughout the years now is just apply many times. The more times you apply, even if you fail, they like people apply and get denied and continue to go because that shows tenacity <laughs> and that they want tenacity in founders. So that's an, don't don't be discouraged by getting declined, right? That's maybe. Did, did you do it multiple times? No, we were before. lucky to get in the first time around. So, uh, but yeah. you know, we spent a lot. The application back then was significantly more rigorous. But I mean, what they're looking for is. Uh, something that can become a giant leader in this in the space or in, a, in an upcoming space. I mean, the vision is extremely important, but more importantly so, the number one advice, why are you going to succeed? 10,000 other people yeah. will have the same vision, but why will you succeed? And to them, they invest in founders first, idea, product, solution, second. Because great founders will find, even if they invest in a company and their first product is wrong, they will pivot and find something. So focus on why you're succeeding. Why are you smart enough? Why are you hungry enough? Why are you tenacious enough? Why are you going to work harder than other people and succeed? That's what they're looking for, mm. particularly in the interview. And do they believe they have a strong founding team? They very rarely invest in a, a single solo founder because it's it's just too difficult journey to do on your own, right? It's a high risk also. Exactly. So those are like the, I want to say, easiest advices from that perspective. Continue to apply, continue to learn, and then Number one thing, again, we talked about finding advice and having ex- ask other people who've tried, ask other people to give feedback on your pitch, on your RD or, or your pitch deck or your application. Very easy way to do that. Mm. I get tons of people and 
who reach out to me and say, hey, I've applied to YC. Could you please help me uh, with a recommendation or help me with uh, giving feedback on our pitch or what should we say? We got accepted to the interview. would love to hear what you said, etc." So, those, oh, nice. yep. so, I mean, wh- why come up with answers when there's other people in the world you can ask for help? And I think that's also a different mentality that is, it, it's easier to ask for help in Silicon Valley or people have a tendency to do And people are actually helping people they respond so don't forget to ask for help you don't have to do everything on your own yeah true and on that topic uh, i'm asking you for help in terms of next uh, podcast guests and uh, maybe some some uh, names that aren't swedish so think uh, europe and maybe even the states yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think a person we brought on uh, a guy to our newest uh, external board member, uh, mm. which is called John Bus. He was responsible for uh, growing Yext, a big IPO company uh, based out of London. Fantastic guy, extremely good at go-to-market motion, international expansion, and overall just a good person, an interesting person with interesting takeaways. I think uh, personally, on the second hand, uh, a, a guy that's always interesting to listen to. So if you can get him on, that would be great. That's Chris Orlob, the former VP of sales of Gong, who now started his own consultancy company. Uh, yeah. Great sound sales advice, actionable sales advice for people looking to expand. Mm. So those are two examples that I think could be good additions to. I think any of the two is, is, is great contributors to the podcast. Yeah, awesome. The first, uh, John, I didn't know, but Chris Orlob, I see him in my LinkedIn feed all the time. Uh, and it's uh, like really short and, and great sales advice. So I think that's uh, super relevant. Yeah, and it, it, people miss it. Chris is great, but another recommendation for people to follow is Sam Blond, the, the former CRO at, at the Brex, who also uh, is now a partner at Founders Fund, but also mm. extremely talented salesperson, overall helpful guy that posts a lot of uh, knowledge on that one. So, I mean, if you want inspiration, those are two good individuals to follow when it comes to B2B sales. Yeah, awesome. Added to the podcast pipe. And uh, on uh, that note, uh, I think uh, I, I've like asked all my, my sponge questions that I wanted to ask. Uh, a lot of interesting takes. I have uh, a couple of takeaways. The first one is turn off on both ends in terms of work-life balance, both when you're at work and when you're off work. Uh, another one is that you said uh, health is wealth. Uh, if you are feeling good, then it's kind of easy to become a, a good, inspiring leader. Uh, and likely your your coworkers will uh, perform and, and feel good as well. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, vision is key to, uh, to succeed long term. 100% agree. You said th- three key takeaways. You almost have a book there. So yeah. <laughs> maybe the next step to write the book about the podcast. But yeah, gather yeah. a couple of those ones. You know, but uh, very well summarized. Great. Let's uh, end on that note. Uh, Carl, thank you very much for for joining me and uh, providing this inspiring dialogue. And uh, yeah, it was uh, great having you on board. Max, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phone. One call close. All right. Shifting the focus to you that's been listening. Just want to remind you that this is an interactive podcast. So hit the link in the episode description. There, you can join the discussion with other listeners and comment on episodes. You can also submit ideas for upcoming guests, topics, or simply upvote what other people have already suggested. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to someone that might be curious, friends, coworker, or that random person in your LinkedIn feed. Last but not least, liberating if you enjoyed it. 
while you're at it, add me on LinkedIn to see short video clips from the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya. Last quarter, I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I want to witch my prospects at your phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Last quarter, I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I want to witch my prospects at your phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone.